0: Hi, I'm Katarina, and this is Sound Effects, a music and mental
1: health podcast.
2: Everyone, welcome back to Sound Effects. And my guest today is Adam Nutter from the Music. He's got a new solo album called *Badlands on Fire* which is coming out at the end of this week on the 21st of April, which you can still pre-order online at adamnutter.com. And I think there's still some info on his website about how you can get involved at his launch night on Friday as well, if there are still tickets available for that. I wanted to just quickly thank James from Oasis Podcast for helping to put me in touch with Adam. I really appreciate that. And if you haven't already heard the episode that Adam did with Oasis Podcast earlier this week, I really recommend listening to that if you get a chance to. And actually in that, Adam does go into a little bit of the mental health aspect in the early stages of the band with the music, talking a bit about what some of the press... Did to him at the time. As a lot of you probably already know from Adam himself, he's very open about his mental health. In particular, he's always been open about the fact that he has a formal diagnosis of both ADHD and bipolar disorder. And I really wanted to explore that with him in a lot more depth to really get to understand what that's like for him, particularly in relation to how it affected him after the end of the music. I really hope you find it helpful please do get in touch with us and let us know what you think and if there's anything that Adam says or that we talk about that really resonates with you or impacts you in any way I've given lots of details of support underneath the show notes so I hope that's helpful so take care everyone and thank you so much Adam for your time I really really appreciate it
0: Really, um, well, thanks so much for like agreeing to do the interview. I really appreciate it, uh, especially like really short notice as well.
3: No problem. That's absolutely fine. Thank you for asking me.
0: No worries. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you because you you um you talk a lot about. I mean, all sorts of stuff, but you you do talk about um, your experiences with um, bipolar disorder and ADHD, and I thought mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to explore that. A bit with you a bit more and to go into a bit of depth with it uh with you if you're okay with me doing that absolutely.
1: Um,
0: yeah perfect do you want to tell me a little bit about I guess when you talk about sort of ADHD and bipolar disorder I know I know that you said you weren't diagnosed officially with it until you were 27 I think is that right You were. yeah I, th- I think
3: thinking back that it was it was about 27 yeah it was about yeah. 27
0: do you have memories of when you first started noticing that something wasn't quite right?
3: To be honest, as early as I can remember really but but obviously it it it's very difficult because obviously at a very young age you have no concept of how your mind should be working or behaving. do you know what I mean yeah without the the ability to see inside. Either you know people, your peers' brains, so to speak, and and see how they tick. Um, it, it it was always difficult to to pinpoint that something was I don't know you know wrong in inverted commas if you want to look at it like that, or if there was you know an issue that needed addressing. Um, I suppose it became more prevalent, probably around puberty, really. <laughs> Um, and certainly looking back now certainly for the ADHD side of things um you know so down to certain issues in school and certain issues um being able to what's the word uh, well behave appropriately or correctly in um, certain environments be it lesson environments be it, one-to-ones with teachers or things like that and even down to sort of disciplinary issues with one-to-ones with teachers. Um, I think I knew there was something again I don't really like to use the word wrong really Mm -hmm. but, but I knew there was something going on in terms of how I processed all kinds of information that was coming at me from other people you know down to interpreting other people's intentions through their actions and things like that and how they would behave and react to me Mm -hmm. I think they were the things that really made me sort of think to myself that yeah something something isn't quite right here and um, I think it was certainly through my trajectory through education anyway and um specifically once i started playing guitar and forming the band and all those um elements i think the 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 big trouble with uh, musicians you know um, anyone who's you know a recording artist or any 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 sort of profile is um certain behaviors i wouldn't say being excused by others but tolerated simply down to people thinking, well, that's, you know, that's just what musicians are like or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean, or that's just what creative people are like. Um, yeah. It, um, I think that, and to jump forward a little bit, maybe, but I don't, uh, you know, I think it was, it got to a point with me where, I don't know, it kind of felt like living in a bunker in my own head. For forever, really, until the point came, you know, around twenty-seven, where I, um, you know, I I felt compelled to 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 go to my GP and say, look, I there's there's something wrong here, you know, mm-hmm. and I think there's been something wrong here for for a very long time. Um, I was lucky at the time to have private health cover cover as part mm-hmm. of um. Um, you know the health package that we'd done for ourselves through being in the band which which did enable the process to be massively fast-tracked and again just a slight aside but I do think that is certainly from my perspective and looking in on other people's scenarios I do think that is something that is still um, a problem in terms of anyone who's not in a situation to have access to private medical care, um, going through the NHS and trying to get, well, trying to get anyone interested, really, in in addressing the issues that they face. I mean, it's fascinating, really, because um, I think even now, I think things like ADHD are becoming more common in terms of people saying oh well I've got ADHD and there seems to be a groundswell of belief that it's a made-up disorder and things like that which I mean I I always I let things like that skim over my head I I don't sit and read things like that and think anything deeper than you know I I imagine predominantly these people are are of a certain generation do you know what I mean because Mm -hmm. I think that people of a certain generation are much more willing to just be like shut up and get on with it do you know what i mean and what have you what have you got to be miserable about miserable about you're in a band and all this stuff and it's like no i've got severe dopamine deficiency thank you very much do you know what i mean so, yeah, I've probably gone off on a few tangents. No, no, no.
0: I'm not sure. No, 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 don't worry. Please, like, tangent away as much as you like, because I usually what I do is I just, like, I'll listen really intently, and then when something strikes my interest, I'll kind of um, jump in and ask. Because I, I am quite interested in what you said about, like, how you sort of felt like you were fast-tracked and sort of, because uh, you had that private healthcare package. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you went to the doctor...
3: Um, how did you explain it to them? Um, that's a good question. Now, actually, thinking back to out to what I actually said, uh, I think I basically I think the look on my face will have probably said it more than anything. But mm. I, because I had a really great relationship with my doctor, um, Doctor Waters, as I'd seen him for a number of years, and it was uh, quite heartbreaking actually because not long after he helped me well because obviously in his position at the time all he needed to do was refer me so to speak so um there wasn't a lot sort of he didn't you know he didn't go into too much detail with me I basically because of private healthcare was able to walk in there and say I don't feel right I feel like I need to speak to someone properly and I need I need a referral because I've got this healthcare package and he was really accommodating um, regarding that because I have dealt with some doctors who have been quite hostile, but yeah, mm. the sad the sad fact was he he uh, he actually hung himself um, mm. not long after he um, he helped me you know get get through that and I, that I, I always remember that really sticking mm. in my mind like a piece of glass because I was just like oh crashed you know what I mean I sat there sort of laying out my problems and what what the hell must have been going on in your brain
0: how did that impact you
3: um i found it very upsetting mm. yeah quite devastating really i mean just from i mean cuz i mean even at a, a very basic level everyone likes to have a doctor that they've built a rapport with do you know mm. what i mean you you're much more able to be open and much more willing to be open with someone that you've built a level of trust with over time and you know he was a very very well liked doctor in the village and i think a lot of people were um massively taken aback by that uh, and he was a uh, he was a, a very softly spoken lovely gentleman and uh yeah i mean I, I suppose that's a little bit of an aside but it's just the fact that everyone's got things that are going on inside i mean if if you aren't able to bring to talk about them yeah. and and as someone in that position of looking after people in the community and looking out for them for them to to, to be in a situation where their 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 only way out they could see was to was to do something like that was i don't i, can't, I don't even know the word mm-hmm. really um I, I couldn't even put my finger on it was it it was just it was it was very strange for me and I I, I would say as well that I mean it's difficult to look back and try and predict the future from then but I'm not sure I'm not sure how much longer I could have I mean don't get me wrong I don't think at that period in my life I'd, I'd ever had those sorts of thoughts but I'm not sure how long I could have gone on in the situation that I was. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me was just being so misunderstood or mm-hmm. the way I interpret it as misunderstood because, I, and like I say, I did get in a lot of trouble at school and not sort of, you know, not like real, I don't know, you know, uh, I wasn't a bad kid or anything like that. I just think that uh, I, I was quite disruptive um and you know lots of other things like that but that all built in me a feeling of just being misunderstood because you you know don't get me wrong if i was sat there in a in a mood thinking i'm gonna disrupt this and and be annoying fair enough you know what i mean you you walk out yeah i've been chucked out deserved it but yeah i i don't i i constantly remember like a stamp on my brain of 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 walking out and thinking what have I done what yeah
1: yeah. what
3: what did I do I was only trying to like be involved or trying to um add something to to what was being said or do you know what I mean and then sort of and it just felt like I was being persecuted for being me almost and that was something that was really really difficult to take and um I think created a lot of anger in me that i think i probably still carry to be honest and um i have i have a thing where say something were to happen today that upset me in in a certain way i wouldn't i wouldn't be reacting Mm -hmm. to that situation i would get teleported straight back in my mind to things that i found really traumatic and the other problem with me is my memory is so vast and, you know, and so powerful, for lack of a better word, that I have a, a filing cabinet full in my brain, full of all these incidents that stand out to me as as moments that damaged me or damaged my psyche or damaged my um, the ability to to develop my personality. And it's almost like every one of those that happens pushes you further into like a corner or further into a certain, a certain system of behavior. And I I, I find that fascinating really, because I often wonder how many people who find themselves in a life of crime or anything like that, how, how many of those people have had conditions that have got away from them Unnoticed, that would be that down to um, you know not the right sort of support in family or not the right sort of support in education or anywhere really or even youth offenders places or anything like that. These people who uh, have have got problematic behaviours that through not necessarily any fault of their own they can't adjust the trajectory of, and I find that that in itself um quite fascinating and damaging and upsetting at the same time because obviously you you can't you can't help everyone in everyone's situation but it does open your eyes to the fact of my god you know i mean how many how many other people have have been living sort of with this situation and and in terms of the bipolar as well i mean that's often something that i've thought to myself as almost like a nature versus nurture thing in a sense of, you know, has that, has the bipolar side of things developed and manifested itself through um, over a period of time where these things have happened to me, probably caused by having ADHD that was undiagnosed and untreated. And then it it almost, it almost turns you to stone the longer it it goes on. And sort of blackens your heart, or oh, that's kind of how I'd liken it anyway. And it got to a point for me where I kind of woke up one day and felt dead inside, but almost that was like a release. Yeah. Because it was like I just I don't care anymore. Do you yeah. know what I mean? If 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 this is me and this is how I'm gonna go forward, then I'm just gonna be as cold as a stone about it and harden myself to to the realities of the simple fact that I don't fit in, in a social setting properly that, I mean, that that's the, that's quite a key point, which I think with me is even from a very young age, um, sort of imp impulsive, Actions, uh, intrusive thoughts from a, a ridiculously young age, actually, intrusive thoughts. And I can remember stuff mm-hmm. back to two and three years old, which is, I shouldn't be able to really. And there's a bit of you that's like, do I remember that stuff or do I just remember it because people have talked about it so much that it's found its way into my memory? And then I'm like, no, no, I can taste the air of the day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. can remember being in my pushchair and watching that happen. And, um, yeah i've I've, I've lost my train of thought
0: well there's so much i want to pull out there and i was really uh just there where you said about intrusive thoughts i was wondering what the intrusive thoughts were but also i was just thinking about how you described um in a way reaching that point of being feeling dead inside almost like a protective mechanism to cope Hmm. um and the thing that really um struck me was when you said you still feel angry at times particularly in relation to the adhd like if you feel persecuted now or you feel anger what mm. opens up is a kind of trauma response and you get triggered into these memories of like the wider what sounds like a wider injustice of what you mm. remember from the past around being misunderstood and feeling like um what well, it sounds like you had always good intentions like you would go into a scenario with with a kind of warmth and good intention and then would be met with persecution and it it kind of clanged somehow and had a sense of you not being seen leading to anger um yeah that's the bit that really struck me of how how pervasive that sounds that you're still with that injustice in a way
3: yeah absolutely i mean as i say i think i had um, massive problems in social situations in terms of uh, uh, appropriate and acceptable behavior and that the i what i got used to was being look just being given a look as if to say what the hell are you do you know what i mean and like i've always found and some people might try and argue with me that these things aren't based in reality, but I can tell what people are thinking before they say it or do it, simply Mm -hmm. by the body language and the facial expressions. Um, Do you know what I mean? I don't think the majority of people are quite as in tune with what their face says as possibly they think they are. Mm -hmm. And again, some people might say, well, you know, you're preempting things, you're being paranoid, and you're looking for things that aren't there. But that also plays into misjudging other people's intentions and um i kind of i kind of got to a place where i thought that no one ever really says what they're thinking and it's my job to as to work out what they really mean do you know mm-hmm. what I mean, to the point where they could say a whole paragraph and i'd be like right so what i'm reading and looking into is all the gaps between what you've said uh, yeah. Because what what you said is irrelevant. It's it's all the pauses, the silences, and what your eyes are doing, and everything else that I'm watching, and that's how I can, in in certainly my own mind, stand there and look at a situation and think I know what you're really thinking. You know, regardless of what you're telling me or or anything like that, it it, it kind of it's almost like just being humoured, yeah, to yeah. a to a degree, but. I mean it it was probably most difficult at school and I'd probably say like interacting with girls as well and things like that down to those yeah. early experiences I'd always seemed to to get those things massively wrong and like you say or never with never with bad intentions and that that kind of is the thing that really st- sticks or stuck in my throat was like not be not being accepted and being treated as strange or weird or different and let's face it when you're a kid uh, when you're a kid at school um the majority of other maybe what you'd call mainstream um children or mainstream people um don't t- generally tend to be um welcoming or accepting of of People that they don't understand, um mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, I, th- I can't blame them for that because everyone else has got their own psyche that's built up on dealing with uh, experiences of dealing with people, and then them standing there and going, "Well, no, this is this is different. This is weird. I don't feel comfortable here. This lad is making me feel uncom- <clears throat> uncomfortable, or or anything like those sorts of things." And as I say i don't know it's i i mean one thing my psychiatrist that diagnosed me said um was basically that he he from talking to me he found me of a of a level of intelligence that he felt uh, i would have been able to use from a very young age to to either a mask the majority of my problems from certain people but also be able to develop my own coping mechanisms um which up until probably very recently is something my my life has been completely governed by uh, my little coping mechanisms if you know what i mean um mm-hmm. and I, I think one of the one of the things that i loved about becoming a guitarist and starting the band and then the band taking off was, I think was that element of not, oh great, I get a free pass now or anything like that, but it, it, it redefined me and made me feel a part of something, which is something I say a lot. I, I, I'm all, I always want to feel part of something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Something that's progressive, whether that's friendships or job, work, interests, hobbies, whatever, like, I just want to feel part of something yeah being the band made me um it gave me an identity that i don't think i had before that because i never really felt like i fitted in properly anywhere literally anywhere and i think i think even my own parents um have found me difficult to often deal with and or understand over the years. But obviously, again, like I said, being in the band came with its own problems because I think people were just willing to accept me for what I was and my behaviors because I was in a band and that's what people yeah. who were in a band are like. Um, even down to smoking copious amounts of cannabis and stuff, um, which was uh, my number one coping mechanism. Um, because I always found as well, like majority of people you'd see that would smoke cannabis or use cannabis it would um nullify them or bring them down or you know i mean down in terms of energy levels do you know what i mean whereas Mm -hmm. i know it's very quickly that what cannabis did for me was actually bring me down from my hyperactive state to a much more normal state to the point where i could use cannabis as frequently as i wanted and uh, you know, apart from people smelling it on me, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to come into a room with me and go, oh, "This kid's an absolute stoner." You wouldn't have been able to tell me because yeah. it it took me to an, a level of normality. It didn't bring my energy levels down and like really idle or anything like that. You know, I mm. talk exactly the same on it uh, as I would uh, having not used it. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think I. It was like a double-edged sword really yeah. uh, being, being in the band and being allowed to to get away with certain behaviors um at the same time as thinking well if i wasn't in this situation because you know you'd be like my god like it's a good job i'm in a band because i wouldn't exist in employment otherwise do you know yeah. what I mean? simply yeah. through simply through my like i say the the quirks of my behavior and don't get me wrong i don't want to paint an image like i was some sort of severe problem child or anything like that. i wasn't but yeah. it, do you know what i mean just just little bits of behavior that would mean that you were treated differently i think yeah
0: what you're saying there about people kind of just assumed because you were in a band, this was just part of the behavior. So it kind of went unnoticed. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about that, you know, um, well, the sadness of that, but also it kind of links to what you said about the doctor. Like there's something similar about, depending on what career choice you have, you get kind of profiled a little bit and some things get, go unnoticed where they wouldn't in other scenarios. Um, And for you, as you said this like double-edged sword of finding kind of belonging in the music industry it sounds like with like with your bandmates and maybe meeting people that you felt you belonged with but at the same time not being seen and operating under the radar in some way and then the drug use that is normalized in the industry and people not really thinking anything of it
3: Mm. absolutely Mm. yeah um all, all very key points. I mean, um, I think it. I think it's only very recently that that people are sort of on much more on the lookout for these sorts of things. But then, I, then, I, then, like I say, you have you have a, a groundswell now of people like, well, bloody every celebrity is claiming they've got something nowadays. You know, it's, it's fashionable to have bipolar. Or it's fashionable to have ADHD. And what I find interesting is the. The, I mean, maybe this could have been happening for a long time. I don't know, but I seem to be reading and hearing more and more about people diagnosed with ADHD later in life, yeah. and it, it is often people in the entertainment industry or people in the music industry. And I think that it, it's such a, a short-sighted attitude to be like, "Oh, well, you know, creative celebrities just love to say stuff like that." It's like, no, there's a there's a pattern here in that what, what the, the things that are affecting these people are also go hand in hand with the things that make them what they are in terms of the the things that make you imaginative or creative, because I think that's always been something that's been incredibly powerful for me. And has often driven a lot of my behavior is the, the power of and scope of my imagination and how, mm. how lucid that becomes in terms of my day to day life and how it, how it plays into reality and how it, often affects how I judge reality in yeah. some ways it certainly has done in the past
0: That was something there was something you mentioned in one of your podcast episodes I think it was a recent one I remember hearing you say like it surprises you when you meet people nowadays who you just see they're really good people and that they don't want anything from you and that it kind of uh I think particularly with the, the people you worked with on your solo album, this sense of people not wanting anything from you or not trying to use you in any way, and that you're kind of so struck by it, it it, it hits you by surprise. It kind of makes me feel sad in a way, because linking it to what you said about growing up and maybe feeling like um, people didn't get you or always expecting always kind of being on your toes and trying to figure out the double meaning of what someone says or what they really want like always being on your toes and not not being able to take people at face value i guess yeah
3: yeah Yeah. um yeah I, i i suppose the the older you get and the more jaded you get and obviously it's different for everyone in the life experience but yeah um you know i think Humans across the board can be quite um what's the word? I don't know. Well, f- quite nasty really, and quite self-effacing and quite um selfish. And um I think the older you get, the more you think that people are just shit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and to to be at this point in your life and have that opinion about the majority of people to meet to meet people who are just you know just genuine and good people that it slapped me, never mind, just like tapped me on the shoulder. It was like a punch in the face. Like, oh my God, like I, I didn't realise people like this exist. Because I think I've been I've been very insular for a very long time, very introverted, insular. Trying to work out what people want me to be or what I need to be to be accepted socially, and then experimenting with different versions of myself. Do you know what I mean? And I've I've felt for a long time that I that, that, that there are five very different personalities in me, um, which I think is probably again part of my coping mechanism over the years. And the they're, they're so identifiable, I've nearly given them all names. And I know when I'm. I know when one of them is dominant. Do you know what I mean? And um, and some people might just say, well, you know, that's just everyone's got different aspects of the personality and different aspects to the mood that um so, you know, certain situ- situations or other people's behavior will bring out. But I, I distinctly remember getting to a point where I just thought, right, I'm not built to be around people and i need to take myself um away from people so as much as i do say it's it it was incredibly amazing to meet good people a lot of that will have been my own fault in inverted commas for not integrating as maybe as much as i should i mean like i i again going back to the band and the double edged sword of that I often felt that I or we, but I'm only speaking from my own point of view. Um, I through what the band was and the trajectory it was and the time that it was it all happened was probably the time for most people where you learn an awful lot, not just about yourself but about other people. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, you you leave school uh, and you leave the pool of people you spent the last I don't know five to ten years with in some cases. And most people will go to university or to college or whatever, or into some sort of job. And uh, take university, for example. And this is only my thoughts. I've never read anything about this or anything. But you know, you you as a you must learn so much about yourself and other people and how you fit in and how you interact with other people through doing things like going to university. I mean, the education part of it aside, there must be so much social uh, enrichment to be found and learned from through that experience and I weighed that up against what I'd been through and just kind of came to the conclusion that I'd missed out on all kinds of vital interactions that could maybe have taken me and my personality in, in a different direction i mean you know that's hindsight it might have made me a million times worse i don't know because i don't respond very well to stress and pressure uh, and things like that and i never have done um but yeah we we live very much in a bubble in the band and obviously we were always touring and always on planes which i found incredibly traumatic and i've never you know i've never been on a plane since the last time we did something internationally as a band I remember getting off the plane walking down oh. the steps and spitting on the floor and saying never again never oh.
1: again. And what I was
3: it them.
0: what was it about the plane that you found stressful?
3: Um everything mm. everything people like being 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 that crammed in, having to having to act a certain way for that long, the process of going through an airport. I find airports some of the most hostile places on the planet. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's sort of where we're allowed to talk to you how we want, but if you even look at me cross-eyed, I'm gonna have five blokes here to drag you out and arrest you. Mm. Do you know, what I'm, I can't right. deal with that. Yeah. I can't, I can't deal with a playing field where I don't have an equal footing. yes
1: I yeah. mean,
3: I, I do have a nasty temper and. Um, I do get angry and it does escalate very fast and I can't control it. And I, airports are probably the number one place where I've had uh, negative interactions like that, where people have literally had to drag me away. Uh, wow. Sometimes several people have had to drag me away from situations where I'm just like, I don't give a damn. I've gone here. So, mm.
1: you know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. It was
3: always, it was always people, the people dragging me away were always people that I loved and respected and there was something in my brain that said, look, if they're dragging you away, just go. Do you know what I mean? Don't fight mm. them as well. But mm. I, I, I hate flying. I, I don't believe anyone should be that high in the air. <laughs> I think <Sure>. it's completely <laughs> unnatural. I hate airplanes. I hate what they're made out of. I hate ev- I, I, I I hate everything about it. And I always mm. say, you know, my, I, I say to anyone who tries to get me on a plane now, I want 20, 20 grand minimum. <laughs> 20 grand, you know, my parents have moved away and they're like, come and see us. And I'm like, 20 grand deposited in my bank account. And that that's the only thing that will make me go through that trauma. 10 grand's mm-hmm. not enough. 15 is a bit of a teaser. No, I want 20,000 pounds if you want me to get on a plane. I don't <laughs> care if, if it's from me to bloody Cleethorpe's. Yeah. You know, if you want me on a plane, it's 20 grand. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, despise it that much
0: (laughs) i guess you make a a good point in a way when you describe it like that the fact that you're in a state of vulnerability and then you're also confronted with this authority it's totally unequal so you feel completely ungrounded in all senses and if you're suffering from any kind of uh, mental distress let alone something diagnosed it's going to trigger all of that because you're not feeling Yeah, you're not secure in the air. Plus, there's a power imbalance, and and then that's triggering the stuff from childhood around you know being treated badly. So I can I can imagine what that must be like. Actually, quite a a very stressful experience.
3: I think that I think the the stress is certainly the biggest factor for me that exasperates uh, whatever I am and again double edged sword with the band but you have this excitement and this this globe trotting nature and these amazing opportunities but that is all ultimately hinged mm. on the ability to be able to produce great music and that is on a knife edge Do you know mm. that that is always on a knife edge and you know we got dropped uh, by record labels I think mm. three times in total and it became and you know it's difficult because a lot of people love the music i love the music i'm one of them people that love the music but i don't think i don't think many people have the slightest clue um what it is like to to be in a band where and especially where your first album is so successful and then there's this huge machine that turns around and goes right do it again yeah. do, it, do it again like that and make it better and you're like yeah. well um you know i young we've toured the world which as i say i i always i found it stressful being away from home and there i am at the other side at world every bloody day and then you get back home for a week and then it's like right now you're off to japan for three weeks then you're off to america for seven weeks and i remember once uh i can't remember what tour it was well, i think it was before the kasabian tour and i don't know what year that will have been in america but i remember going to the airport getting my schedule handed to me, you know, the itinerary of what we were doing and looking at this calendar of, of like six weeks or something out there and just breaking down and crying in the um way to get on the plane because mm-hmm. it was, you know I mean? I just, I just couldn't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean? it just got to a point where I couldn't handle it anymore and every time one of these things came up, I wanted to turn around to the managers and the other three and say, I can't do it anymore. But I couldn't do that because I... i'm the i can't let people down i'd rather rather burn alive than let people down some people don't have that part of the conscience yeah I'm, i'm dominated by that part of my conscience and i'd rather put myself through hell rather than live with the guilt and that's and I kind of draw a line on the, that when the band ended because i always used to think well it, i'm affecting their livelihood i'm affecting. that i'm affecting the trajectory of the band which i want to continue to grow so we need to do these things that these people are saying we need to get on this plane we need to do this tour and you know and the the awful thing as well is when you can see that your bandmates you know for example rob um going through a similar a similar thing or albeit fueled uh by different aspects and things and different experiences but still that glint in the eye where you look at each other and you're just like i can't fucking do this anymore
0: yeah you know that's, what I mean? the, that's the thing as well because i guess uh one thing that i i saw comes up a lot in this podcast is talking about how things were then compared to how they are now because obviously people are much more aware generally in the public about mental health and talking about things but the picture you've kind of depicted there as well is like i've got this image of like a group of young boys in a way because you were like you know at the beginning you were like 18 kind of all on this trajectory to fame but also in isolated bubbles where i don't imagine you would have been talking to each other about how you were feeling either No. no and and that really interests me as well like how you operated with each other and maybe didn't know each other in some way
3: yeah um it was a time bomb i think Uh, it was a you know it was a a time bomb of almost like fate and a predisposed date was attached to all of it Mm. you know the the trajectory that we were on the age we were at when we got into it and kudos to our managers; they worked very hard to protect us from from certain elements, but there's, you know they could only do so, so much. But yeah, we um, we're four very different people with four very different personalities and characters, and of lesser or equal or more dominance socially in different scenarios. We we developed um, uh, a way of communicating that was purely banter it was banter it was banter driven and i think that rob was like the fulcrum for us to be able to exist because i think that even though me and Stu had grown up together i think that i mean bless you i love stew to bits and i think you know stew was going through his own stuff at that time and i think me and stew often struggled to speak at that time and then um, Phil was someone I'd only met once we started the band because Rob kind of brought him as as a drummer. And me and Phil had a difficult relationship, but Phil had had a lot of things in his life that uh, uh, had had a lot of trauma um, and things in his life. Um, but the long and short of it was Rob, Rob bound us all together with his sort of gregarious personality, and it was so funny and everything. It's so... We, we existed together, sort of, everyone had a great relationship with Rob, but, like, separately, do you know what I'm saying? Sort of, mm-hmm. mine, me and Phil had a, maybe a difficult relationship, me and Stu kind of did, but me and Rob had a great relationship. Stu and Rob had a great relationship, and mm-hmm. Phil and Rob had a great relationship. So Rob was able to to um, be a personality that would, I think, bring us all together. And I think we were all suffering the same panic and um you know not in the beginning not in the beginning when it was snowballing really well i mean you know that that was awesome and you know i i've been doing this podcast a while now and i've had several people on who we used to work with and you know a lot of people referred to how much fun it was to be around us and we were we were a lot of fun but as you rightly point out we never once discussed how we were really feeling you know what I mean? We developed a way of communicating that was well, piss taking, banter, um, kicking a, you know, playing keepy uppies. That was something we did a lot as, as a four where you know you didn't need to talk or getting into, into any difficult, um, circumstances. But yeah, I, my experience, the experiences I talk about where I felt persecuted or misunderstood or, um, Hold off in Mm -hmm. some way. You know, a a lot of those did start to happen in the band as well, with with other bandmates, like people saying things to me about my behaviour and me being deeply affected by that. Because I'm I'm not someone that I I I take things to heart and I lock them in there Mm -hmm. and I don't let them out. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And like, I always thought that I kind of wear my own hurt like a halo, really, and it's always there and it. I I came to my own conclusion a long time ago that I fucking need to learn how to let stuff go me. Like mm. stuff from years and years ago, stuff that happened 5 minutes ago. Um mm. things things affect me seriously and deeply and they scar me, but you know, I'm only talking from my own point of view and I'm not yeah. suggesting that these things don't impact other people as well. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do and they will shape people in very different ways. Um but I, I, I've struggled massively with that.
0: Does that, so does that still happen? Like you're, you still find that you will hold on to things like conversations that have happened and you'll ruminate on them after?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, not only that, I'll have imaginary conversations yeah. with people who I find troublesome and then I will go into reality with yeah. that person thinking, well, you said that to me last night even though it was even though it was in my head the yeah. imaginary version of them said it to me in my head but i'll still treat them with a slight contempt
1: mm. because
3: of what they said to me last night in my head it's almost like i i i i, I demonize people mm. and hold them as like i don't know almost like some sort of reverse voodoo doll do you know what i mean where yeah. it's yeah. just like constantly hanging around in my head and it's like all right i need to i need to work hard on creating a distinction between the real version of him and the demonite or her or, or, or the demonized version of him or her that i've created in in my own mind and i think that's one thing that i I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back for it but i do think i have an awful lot of insight into my own self yeah. and to be honest i love people who don't have the ability to have insight into their own behavior i yeah. mean i I'll rein my voice in and not get loud, but I can feel it boiling up in me now in terms of how much I loathe people who don't have insight into their own behaviour and want to project everything onto someone else and it always be someone else's fault. It makes me fucking sick.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you usually say to them? or Is it people you encounter?
3: I I, I tend to work very hard to filter what I say and do with people um especially people who well i mean people like that i cut them out of my life like Mm. you know like an awful piece of meat do you know what i mean that's going Mm. foul i cut them out of my life and they never get back in people don't generally get many chances with me (laughs) i'm 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 um sophisticated enough to be able to recognize when people have made mistakes and equally Mm. i'm sophisticated enough to know when someone has a pattern of behavior that i find intolerable the irony of that is uh, you know i have patterns of behavior that others find intolerable but yeah a lot of people have always said to me and sometimes people who don't really know me that int- like my hairdresser for example who i've known since i was 15 doesn't know me that well other than you know you know going to getting my hair cut but i remember her saying to me you don't suffer fools and <laughs> you never have as long as i've known you Yeah. like, yeah, damn right. I have a big problem with injustice. I have a big problem with people who don't know how, as I say, to analyse their own behaviour. I have a big problem with people who aren't sensitive to others. I have a big problem with people who assume that everyone works the same. And I have a big problem with people who don't take accountability for their actions, which, again, the irony of that is I've had that levelled at me before that I don't Mm -hmm. always... um, you know that maybe I look to to shift blame. I remember someone once saying that I never say sorry, which was fucking bullshit, to be quite mm. blunt. But mm. I accepted that because I thought, mm, no, that's you just dealing with your own problems. That and looking to talk absolute bullshit. But mm. I don't know. I've I've always found I've got um quite a strong idea of what I find acceptable, and I'm not. I don't try and change anyone. I just disappear like smoke mm. from a fire. You know what I mean? If you if you are a certain character, I am not mixing with you because it'll end up really nasty. Um, And that that you know, I I can't. You know, red mist is a real thing, and everyone will have it to a degree. But I I really have a problem with red mist. And if I didn't do what I've done over the years and make myself a little bit more insular, um, introvert, and not socially accessible, is I think I'd have got myself into quite a lot of troublesome situations over the years because of that red mist. Um, mm-hmm. As I say, you know, like, try to chin people in airports and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff, and try to chin a copper in New York, all, all this sort of stuff, you know I mean? Putting his hand on his gun and all this sort of stuff, oh, and, wow. I'm, and I'm guarding him, do you know what I mean? So, oh, my God.
1: Okay. Well, that was ridiculous,
3: Now, <laughs> because all... I mean that—that's a separate story in itself. But I was—I was very, very tired for for a press schedule, and I was sat down in the Rockefeller Center, you know, on in one of the concourses. I was just sat, lent against the side of a wall, and a, a, i do don't even it, this it, this guy came up to me and gestured for me to get up, and I said I said what what what? And then he just did more gesturing, never opened his mouth to me, and I just went. He's yeah. like, don't fucking wave your hands at me, dickhead! Fucking tell me what you want. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Walking over to me and just fucking waving at me like that. Open your fucking mouth. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. he's putting his hand on his gun. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> is he doing? He's fucking... I'm sat down on the fucking concourse. He's getting his gun out. Jesus Christ, you ever seen how it was fucking disproportionate as that? And there's people like, Adam, Adam, Adam. i like, no, fuck off. I, <laughs> this. I don't give a shit this fucker thinks he is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? He's put a suit on. He thinks he can talk to me like that. He's got another thing coming. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That, that's... These are the situations I end up getting my... I hate injustice.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I, I
0: despise it. It sounds like as well, Like it's something about authority, like when you've got authority figures sort of lording some power over you in some way. That's Absolutely. That really triggers... Yeah. Was that from sorry, sorry, you? Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead
3: i was just going to say i i i i can't stand um that injustice and i have a thing where, and I, I make a big point of it and if you listen to my podcast you'll have probably heard me say it in that i'm lovely me and mm-hmm. i'll give respect in spades but if you show me even a hint of disrespect then i'll give that back to you a, a hundredfold
1: mm-hmm. do you know what i mean
3: uh, and it doesn't matter the position of power of the person it's coming through and i've left a lot of people stood there in stunned silence <laughs> thinking you you can't talk to me like this and it's like well guess what i'm stood in front of you and i am doing so what are you going to do about it now because i've mm. shown my cards and you ain't got any left
0: mm. did that come from young like from at school or like teachers and stuff like that or family members
3: definitely teachers and yeah. that, that plays into the misunderstoodness because you're just like, look, I've, I've, I wasn't trying to do anything. And then you're, you're left with that rage. And as a yeah. child, you can't really do much. I mean, I know in this yeah. day and age, you know, kids in schools are doing all sorts of stuff in terms of teachers and how they treat them. And mm-hmm. but I just, I hated feeling misunderstood. I hated it. And um, I'm still misunderstood now. And you know, I had a conversation with my manager a few weeks ago where I got a little bit excited and he got quite annoyed with me. And he was just like, oh. look, I'm not, I'm not dealing with you when you're like this. You know, and if we can have a nice nod, we can have a calm conversation about this and deal with it, but I'm not talking to you if you're getting excited like that. And again, I'm just sat there going, I'm just fucking expressing myself, man. Have you never fucking yeah. heard someone get passionate about something?
0: yeah. I guess it's like, uh, I, when you're talking about like being young like that, it's like you're being accused of something. Um, I'm fairly accused in these interactions. It's like, not just that you're being misunderstood, but that you're sort of being presumed about as well. Mm-hmm. Mm.
3: Definitely. And I, I really don't like the idea that people find me tiring i mean i can't i I know again i have insight into my own behavior i know i can i can be intense i can be tiring i've got an energy that some people can't be around all the time and i don't get i don't get mad about that i appreciate the honesty and it's like damn straight i know i know exactly what you mean do you know what i mean i suppose it um like it's not the same but it's a bit like I can't be around people who are doing cocaine. And to be Mm -hmm. honest, I find drunk people a bit tiring as well, but like people who are doing cocaine, it's like, fuck off away from me. I'm not dealing with you when you're doing that because I find people who are using that drug, just intoler, just absolutely intolerable. So I'm, I'm, I'm hyper aware of, and I am hyper aware of how intense Mm -hmm. I can be, but I've never had the ability to control it. And it's, it's all just passion and mm. and anger and well passion fuel passion and anger at injustices um mm. and things. I mean, everyone has a different way of dealing with things and one of mine is just having a good old rant about things mm. that are, are annoying me. But I have to understand and respect that some people are like, Look, I, I'm not meaning to upset you, but I, I can't be part of this conversation because i'm finding it stressful communicating mm. with you that 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 wouldn't upset me because i'd, I'd take that as honest up front. and as i say i know i can be c- quite intense um yeah
0: so provided people show their cards in a way they're honest with you you can kind of take them but it's when you kind of suspect they're being a bit uh duplicitous
3: yeah, definitely, definitely. Or mm-hmm. when, or when people treat me like a nuisance, yeah. I've, I've always, I've, I've often, especially when I was young, um, been made to feel like I was a nuisance um, mm-hmm. from lots of people, like, sort of including family members, really. But mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't, I don't specifically family members. I don't hold grudges about that. Um, mm-hmm. There's no doubt it will have played into the goal that has made me what I am but I don't carry maybe there was a period where I did but I don't carry resentment towards those individuals because again like I've explained uh, I'm old enough at this point now and I've been around other intense people enough now to suddenly have well a long time ago twigged and realized well it not matter how nice someone is everyone has got a, a limit in terms of Patience and not, you know, uh, and everyone sort of snaps every now and again and might make comments or, or, or do things um, difficult, really, as well. Because my parents will probably listen to this
1: podcast <laughs> and there's, a,
3: there's quite a few yeah. things I could list out that they did, um, but like that that did severely affect me. But mm. I don't like the idea of making them carry any guilt do you know i mean i'd hate because i have a great relationship with my parents i'd hate the idea of them to listen to this and think oh my god we did we did these things to him that upset him and but like i say as well i do have a very long memory Mm. and i think some people might have banked on the fact that maybe my memory don't go quite as (laughs) far back as it does but unfortunately it does and i have said well what about that back then And seeing a look on people's face as if to say, how on God's green earth do you remember that? And my God, I wish you couldn't remember that. Uh, I bet you fucking wish that, yeah.
0: Is there anything there you would want to share on the podcast?
1: Uh, Well,
3: I suppose being as diplomatic as I can be, there was you know just just little things little things like uh, me and a friend when we were growing up had quite a combustible relationship only in the sense that we wound each other up but he wound me up he he brought out a lot of the worst in me and i always got the blame
1: uh...
3: but that's because i'd be triggered and then i'd react and the trouble is it's like look if you're the one that is in inverted commas thrown the first punch or done the thing that has grabbed everyone else's attention you're the one that's going to be persecuted and it's like no you you don't you didn't see the 20 minutes half an hour leading up to me losing my temper where mm. i did my best to hold it for that half an hour and then eventually went oh fuck this do you know what i mean and then got kicked out of the car and made to and watch everyone else drive off while I'm stood outside at side of road, at fucking eight years old or whatever. Mm. Going, what the fuck? Mm. And they came back and picked me up, but there's still them few seconds where, you're like, eh, mm. you know what I mean? It's just. I, I mean, I could, I could spend a week without ending this Zoom call <laughs> or without experiences like that. Um,
1: yeah.
3: But like I say, like I say, people. So, in a wider situation where there's other people involved, the needs of one can't always outweigh the need, the needs of all. And to keep balance, you know, regardless of who started what or who's exasperated what or who's triggered what, the person who's lost their head needs to be removed. And I do understand that. And like I've already said, I understand. Um, um, you know, like I understand. Parents running out of patience and and doing insane things that they might later think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, but that happened. Do you know what I mean? I'd, it's not like I'm sat here through gritted teeth saying about a lot of these things. The trouble is, is my fucking memory. Without wanting to swear, my fucking memory. It's a fucking curse. Yeah. I've always said. I've always said, like, I wish I was stupid. Stupid. Wow. I, don't, I don't. I don't mean to sound disrespectful to anyone and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone but in a broad sense I think stupid people have a much easier fucking ride stupid people with no memory have a very easy fucking ride you mm. know what I mean? because they just bounce from thing to thing and slow like, oh, yeah yeah that 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 and they don't hold anything I wish I could do that. I wish I could not hold anything. I wish I could walk into a situation and not suddenly in a, a millisecond imagine every single scenario that could happen in the situation that I've walked into. It's fucking tiring. It's yeah. draining and it's a, it's a drain on my mental resources. The fact that whenever I walk into every situation I'm eyeballing every single scenario that could happen. Every single one hundreds in a millisecond of like, well, this could happen, that could happen, he could say that, she could do that, I could end up doing this. Oh, bloody hell, what do I do? Whereas most normal people without these sort of things would just walk into a room and be like, all right, what's going on? You know what I mean?
0: You're in like hyper arousal, constant vigilance of Mm -hmm. every situation. Yeah, it's like you're um, in the flight flight response is constantly activated.
3: I think I've been in a fight-flight response since I was born, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like I still am. I've always, I've always likened how I feel in life to, um, to like, well, some senses just constantly floating off the ground and never been able to get my foot down and never been able to reach anything to grab to push myself onto the floor where I'm like, right, my feet are on the floor now. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel, I've always felt like I'm holding my breath through life and through scenarios. Do you know what I mean? Like everything, certainly at a time, everything was hard work and everything just felt like something I had to grit my teeth and get through. And like I say, I just feel like you're, you're holding your breath until you get to this utopia moment where you're like, all right, I can breathe now and everything's all right. And then it clicks yeah. that that's never going to happen. And they're oh, the moments God. where your personality starts to shift because you're just like, well, hang on. I'm never going to get that release and i guess that makes me understand how a person could get to the point that my doctor did
1: yeah where
3: where, you, where it dawns on you that this is never going to fucking change is it i'm going to be like this forever and i think that was one of the things that made me go and speak to the people that i did and you know i was diagnosed with a, a ridiculously short space of time like three i think like two or three days after i had the consultation to get my referral i was in a private place um Um. speaking speaking to a gentleman who very quickly went (laughs) you've you've got adhd mate it's as absolute clear as day and you've also got bipolar and it's like
1: Mm. oh that
3: was a that was a revelation for me because you'd think a lot of people in that scenario will be upset i fucking want no i was not upset i was absolutely overjoyed because
0: it makes
3: sense all of a sudden exactly yeah exactly exactly that all of a sudden you're like and you know what there's the bit of me that wanted to spin round on everyone and be like fuck you do you know what i mean all Mm. that shit you fucking gave me and look where i am now look what's happening here yeah do you want to fucking apologize now? And it, there was a bit of me that <laughs> almost wanted to go on some sort of crusade, knocking on mm-hmm. doors, bringing up phones, going. I want to have a fucking word with you. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean about shit you did to me when I was young? Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of it in school. A lot, a lot of the things that I I can see them now, incidents now, um, in me, in my mind, where that just left me absolutely devastated. Through, mm-hmm. through. Not trying to be bad, wrong, disrespectful or anything. Just going, oh, shit, I got that wrong again then, did I? Fucking brilliant. Mm,
0: Yeah. And they all play in your mind like a kind of uh, revolving door. Carousel. Carousel, yeah.
3: Carousel spins round and round all the time with me. And it just depends what mood I'm in. If I'm in a pragmatic mood, it'll be a carousel of things I need to sort that need my attention that constantly spins if i'm in a negative mood it will be a carousel of intrusive images memories and thoughts mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just a, a revolving door of traumatic of things that i found traumatic and then the whole card trick is being able to act like none of it's happening mm-hmm. do you know what i mean that's the that's the that's the real magic is mm-hmm. being able to build a socially acceptable personality and one that you don't even fucking like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I don't even know this person, but this is what I've become to deal with this. Um, and yeah, it brings its own problems, but it is what it is. And it's mm-hmm. t- it's taken me a long time to to. Um, I mean, I'm in a better place now than I ever have been for mm-hmm. um, lots of reasons. Really, um, it it's difficult without giving away sort of too much about my private life really I suppose that I'm not quite willing to do at the moment but sure. things are a lot better for me now than they ever have been and I'm noticing massive changes in my behaviour um, mm. and the me abandoning my coping mechanisms without even realising it mm. without even realising it you know I, I I do this thing with my genes and I always have and it makes my legs bleed and my oh, wow. My mum always used to say that's self harm, and it's like, and I was like, is it fuck? Do you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. I, I like doing it. I like the feeling. I like I like how it feels. And my mum was always like, no, that's self harm. I was like, mm-hmm. you're talking shit. It's just me being me. But anyway, I I it suddenly occurred to me the other day that I've stopped doing it, and mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't even notice. You know, my like my legs around my knees are covered in scars from from doing that. But that mm-hmm. never once occurred to me as anything lightning to self-harm do you know i i like physical pain because mm. it's entertaining like emotional pain is intolerable yeah. absolutely intolerable but i find physical pain a fucking joke to be quite frank and yeah. one that i like to play. It's a punchline i like to play with yeah
0: how do you mean
3: well whether it's a distraction or another coping mechanism I don't know, but I don't think I register physical pain in the same way that most people do, or certainly not when I'm inflicting it on myself.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know what I mean? I've kind of heard that before with uh, other people I know, uh, particularly with ADHD. Um, the, the idea of, like, yeah, I mean, with self-harm as well, but particularly where, like, having a kind of uh, physical pain or physical altercation with someone makes them feel more excited like uh it makes them feel real where they feel kind of numb inside Mm. um I don't know if that was what you meant there
3: I think probably probably elements of to be honest I've never really given it too much thought because it's it's been something that I've done for so long and again I just i I have a lot i've developed lots of compulsive behaviors over the years i have just normalized just completely normalized and i i am of a certain character and i i can be what's the word i'm a strong presence in a room and maybe maybe no one ever felt that I'd be willing to receive the information of, you know, what you're doing there because that's wrong, That's weird, it's wrong. Although I've, I do have a problem with weird and wrong. I don't think there's any such, such thing as weird and wrong. That's mm-hmm. just someone else's um, category, uh, you know, categorizing behavior based on their own experience, you know, what what is weird and what is wrong. But, yeah, I, I, you know, in a simple sense, I, I find emotional pain, um, as I say, intolerable intolerable and i think probably the the reality of it is is whenever a uh, emotional pain has found its way to me which to be quite fucking frank is all the time um mm-hmm. I, I i go back to my coping mechanisms whether it's pushing my genes into my flesh as far as i can with my nail and then suddenly going oh shit there's blood all in inside of my jeans i don't di- I, I don't even know do you know what i mean
0: Yeah, yeah. i don't even
3: know until later on
0: Well, you you mentioned um, intrusive thoughts. I I was going to ask you there if you had um, experiences with OCD. Um, I didn't know if you meant the intrusive thoughts in relation to that, um, if that's what you were referring to. Um,
3: I mean, very possibly uh, Mm -hmm. elements of OCD. I mean, it depends because the sort of popular image of OCD is you know switching the light off five times, or you're going to set on fire at three o'clock in the morning or something like that. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't, th- I don't think I've ever had those. If I, if I, I think the only OCD I will have had will have been very, very internal and not based on external things. Do you know what I mean? I've never had the feeling of um oh, I need to do that or doom's gonna get me although i do walk around with an impending sense of doom but you know fucking hell, so do lots of people um but ocd in itself that i mean that's not something that was ever touched on during my consultations and, um you know uh time with my psychiatrist or therapist was never really addressed so much but i do have incredibly obsessive behaviors so maybe it's um you know, maybe it's just breaking down what OCD really is and how broad that mm. really is. But yeah, I have, I have, I have things that soothe me massively that people would find strange, socially unacceptable, um, any, any number of things. But intrusive thoughts. Mm. I mean, again, I, I think that's something that. Uh, majority of people probably go through, but don't always have the presence of mind to, to pull out of the well in which it's all happening in and extracting it and going, where the fuck did, where the hell did that that come from? I mean, I think that I've been so used to dealing with the revolving carousel of different things that upset me leaping out of my mind that, that, you know, I've always said to myself, my mind is a very cruel place. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it shows me things that I don't want to see, and it shows me them all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to work hard to 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 get myself above them. And if I can't, it's like drowning. Do you know what I mean? I can mm-hmm. I can drown in intrusive thoughts, and I spiral so fast; it's ridiculous. And I guess that's the the bipolar element. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I can be as high as a kite and so vibed up a, about life and. And then something very, what most people would see as innocuous, can trigger me. And five minutes later, I can literally be thinking like it will be better off if I wasn't alive anymore. Yeah, so really
0: um, rapid, rapid cycles of that
3: for you. Incredibly rapid, and yeah. people, people, people find that intolerable. Do you know what I mean? People are like, well, that you know, you can't go from being that happy to that sad at once. I can do what the fuck I want. Yeah, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I can't. I can't switch it off or alter that behavior. That just, that is me. And again, they're the things that make me go, fuck this. I'll just go sit in my house and watch TV and do things that I want to do. And if anyone wants to live alongside me, they can do, but they have to understand it. Like they will live alongside me. They will exist alongside me purely. And if they find that tolerable, fine. If they don't fuck off is, is my attitude. I apologize for my language.
0: No, no it's great. No, don't apologize. Uh, uh, there's no filter here at all. <laughs> um had a lot of swearing on the podcast, it's fine. <laughs> um there's I was gonna ask you actually about the high and low. Um, because um obviously when people talk about bipolar, I mean there's there's different types and I wondered about like whether you'd experience like manic episodes like to the point of you know how how manic might you get and how low might you get in a, in a mm. typical cycle
3: yeah um I, I can get very manic um and again I, I, I think that's something I've learned to see better through other people's eyes do you know what I mean it's not something I've always been aware of where I'm like oh shit I'm on one I I love being happy. I love, it. I love it when happiness sweeps me and takes over me. I fucking love it, and I, I, I like to fly it like a kite. Mm. And um, it, you know, I, I think you know, the recent music, the the recent the music reunion show, you know, speaking for myself, but my manic episodes made that happen. Mm. If I I don't I I think if I wasn't what I am I don't think those gigs would ever happen because it there was a lot of history with us and a lot of things to be solved and when it came as an offer to do that gig it was met with a lot of um um skepticism and all sorts of other things and you know me me and Rob when the band split up, had a very difficult um time really and we stopped talking and i i think i put all the blame on rob for how i viewed it as taking my identity away from me um which isn't fair on him at all really um
0: how, how do you think how at the time how did you feel he took your identity away
3: <clears throat> um, and just through. Oh. You're
1: right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, because it is just because I can't see you. So, I, are yeah, you? I you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm
3: alright. I'm just gonna be upset. It's all right. Then. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Don't worry. <clears throat>
3: I just, just because that was the only thing that made me me. In my mind, was being part of that band. The band was the only thing that gave me an identity, and mm. he, you know, he couldn't do it anymore for his own reasons.
1: <clears throat> he, uh,
3: yeah, he couldn't do it. Uh, he couldn't be in the band anymore for his own reasons, and that was really difficult to take on so many levels. <clears throat> um. I got to a point where he felt that like he couldn't do it anymore, and for his own mental health and mental well being, he he had to stop. And at the place I was at at that point in time, I found that incredibly difficult to to deal with. And I didn't see it from his point of view; I only saw it from mine, which was criminal of me, really. But <clears throat> so for the reunion show to happen I needed to to have a conversation with Rob basically and Mm. Rob reached out to me and we had a brilliant conversation um because like I killed the memory of it all in my own brain I do have the ability to do that I can cut things off like Mm. I just cut them off and they're gone if I if I decide to it's, again, it's a coping mechanism, self defense, or whatever. But I I cut the memory of the band off. I cut all the positive memories out. You know what I mean? Literally carved them out like a fucking pumpkin out of my brain and threw them away.
1: Mm. And
3: tried to rebuild my life with someone who had no memory of any of that.
1: Mm.
3: And um, so when me and Rob had the conversation that we had, and we real we. Well, it, Rob just because when Rob went, he didn't really explain it. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like a, a wife or a girlfriend just disappearing without explaining it. Do you know what I mean? You don't get all kinds of closure and stuff like that. And um, mm. there was a lot. There was a lot. Me and him had to deal with. Um. So, but once once we did have that conversation, and. We hadn't really spoken for ten years, and then in the course of about an hour, two hour, maybe three hours, hours there, we had this conversation, and we rebuilt our relationship over the course of that those hours. And I felt like being alive. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm. I'm. I am pretty open about getting upset. I mean, I've got upset on my own podcasts and stuff, but. Yeah. Some stuff. I, don't, I want to be able. I want to be able to actually talk and make sounds. I don't want to get that upset that I can't talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the last thing I said? Um, can't remember. What last thing I just you, said.
0: You kind of. Uh, you said you reconnected and. Oh yeah. Felt, felt
3: yeah, alive. We, yeah, reconnecting. I felt alive again, and all the memories and things that I cut out just. Came back like a bullet train, do you know what I mean, and mm. that was a a, a a beautifully manic period for me, do you know mm. what I mean, and I think people around me be like, "Oh, is Adam okay?" You know what I mean. I think he's on one. It's like damn fucking straight. I'm on one. Mm. I've got all my history back and mm. everything. All these memories that are cut out, they're all back, mm. and then I kind of um, went on like a tirade on this new whatsapp group we'd put together with the band and the managers and i just started like bombarding this group with all my memories and fun memories and the things that have happened and i, I got off on that because my mm-hmm. memory is so strong and i was re- bringing all the shit up that like the rest of the lads and the managers have forgotten about and everyone's like oh my god yeah do you know what i mean and like I think that's where the idea for the podcast came from in the first place, really. I remember at the time, one of his managers saying, this is great, this. It's like some sort of stream of consciousness podcast. (laughs) And then after that, I started doing the YouTube videos uh, mm-hmm. which I found incredibly cathartic. And I only started doing those because I got irritated with the character count on Twitter when I was trying to reply to people's questions. And I was like, I can't give any sort of in-depth response here. So I started making the videos, and that's when Tim, our other manager, said, you should do a podcast, mate. you know what I mean? Yeah. You talk really well. But, yeah, it was... Rebuilding my relationship with Rob was... um <sighs> Seems that he's a stumbling block, on it for me. Oh, fucking hell! I can't stand the sound of me on voice when it's like that. It seems that whenever I mention his name, I get set. Yeah. What What do you think's
0: um happening to you when you say his name?
1: <clears throat> <sighs> um.
3: Um. <clears throat> I just think effectively I'm going back um into the mindset I was in before we oh. you know before we um had these conversations that kind of rebuilt things mm. I'm back in that mindset I think oh,
1: okay yeah, I really I
3: hate the sound of my voice when I get upset. Oh god. I don't know. I just <clears throat> I just find it I still find it difficult now.
1: Yeah. Still
3: find it difficult now. Um uh there was no need for us to not talk for that long.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds like you're um, sort of beating yourself up about it.
3: <clears throat> yeah, mm. probably, because I think that... Well, I think I probably went on the attack,
1: mm. do you know
3: what I mean, when all this happened, rather than... I think I went on the attack through way of trying to defend myself in some way or come to terms... There we go. <clears throat> I think I um found it so hard to come to terms with yeah. the end of the band and stuff that mm. I you know I blamed him, demonized him. Shit that's really unfair. Mm. <clears throat> And I found it difficult. I found it really difficult to move on from that emotionally, and in Mm. any any other sense, really. Yeah. Do
0: you think he understands?
3: Yeah, I think he does now.
1: Yeah.
3: I think he does now. Um, I I went to a lot when when it all clicked in my own head. I went to great lengths to apologise to him and. Even, even in the conversation when I went round to his house when we made up, I put a, I put a lot of weight on him, a mm. lot. But he sat there and he took it,
1: mm. and he thought, you
3: know, he, I I I apologized. I said, I'm um, you know, I'm disgusted with myself for putting all, all that weight on you when it wasn't your fault and you were just in exactly the same position, trying to claw your way out of a. A hold, you know what I mean, and then there's me just worrying about myself and like the band and having still having that identity and still having the ability to, well, to have a livelihood. To put it blunt, because as I said to you before, I've 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 always found it really difficult to 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 behave in a way that majority of employers would find acceptable. Do you know what I mean? And at a certain age, do you know what I mean? Like. An age where it's easier to pay someone younger, less who's more experienced, you know what I mean? Because I'd been in a band since I was bloody 17 and didn't have any real work experience, and the end of the band just was like fucking Yellowstone exploding, you know what I mean? For me, it was just like the end of the world, and um, you know. Th- it was difficult because there was people at that time, and were like, well, you just gotta have to get on with it, aren't you? Just gonna have to get on with it and do something else. He's like you fucking open your mouth again, I'll strangle you to death. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely, do you know what I mean? Genuinely. Yeah. It's like just just keep your fucking mouth shut if that's what's gonna come out. Otherwise, I'm gonna end up in prison here. Um and that's not what anyone needs. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just I don't know. I mean, I don't I know there's nothing wrong with getting upset and I'm not. I don't know what the word is. Prude. I'm not prudish about getting upset in that sense. I'm. I. I. have done it on my podcast in the past. Yeah. I feel awkward, and um, I don't like the sound of my snivelling fucking voice. Uh, I've always hated myself anyway, so I. I try and work hard not to do anything that makes my hate. It makes me hate myself more.
1: Aww. Um,
3: but yeah, I think all the stuff with Rob was. It was just so deep, man. Do you know what I mean? And it had gone on for so long and it had been my sword in the stone ever since.
1: Mm.
3: And it, you know, I built I built my life around that sword in the stone. And yeah. I say life, I built whatever I built around it. And then that was weird in itself because when we reconnected and I forgave him instantly. The second he the second he said sorry. Yeah. Because all he really had to say sorry about was maybe the way he went about it and never really giving much of an explanation. But bless his heart. You know, he said to me, he said, I didn't know how to talk to you or tell you. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I can fucking understand that knowing me back then. It's not like I were easy to easy to talk to or deal with. And if I you know, there were times in the band where if I didn't have weed, I'd make everyone's life hell. Not deliberately, just You know, I have a very strong presence in a room and if I'm in a good mood, it's great and it lifts it. And if I'm not, it poisons the it poisons everyone. Do you know Mm. what I mean? So I can understand him not feeling able to I mean, I feel quite sensitive about all this anyway, because I don't want to... I don't think I am, though, but I don't want to speak on Rob's behalf in terms yeah. of things that he might not be comfortable with me saying, but I'm just trying mm-hmm. to check myself, and I think it's all things we covered when I had Rob on my podcast anyway. I think we mm-hmm. we touched on these things. But yeah, Rob, and people don't get it now, man. People are just like, when's the tour? When's the tour? When is, when's the new the music record? And you just like, oh, my God. It's like, look, I know I, I share what you want. Mm. like I'd love it. But you have to realize that there's four human beings here. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: Rob Rob finds it incredibly difficult to step back into those shoes, almost impossible, and everyone should be really grateful that he managed to do it for Temple News. And I made that my mission. Yeah. I made it my mission to make sure that he was comfortable going into that gig and that he was my priority. Completely. And, you know, I remember thinking and saying to people and to myself, you know, if anything pisses him off, I will flatten it and Mm. dispose of it quickly because I want him to get through this. Now, maybe I wanted him to get through it for me. You know, maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's like, I want this so badly that. I want him to be able to do it and I, he needs to be able to do it and he needs to agree to it and I, don't, I need to make it comfortable for him so he enjoys it and um, all these sorts of things. But the bottom line is um, Robert finds it very difficult, if not almost impossible, to be part of the music anymore.
1: Yeah.
3: And that's something that took me a long time to find any sort of acceptance with i suppose because it was just fueled by so much um well, heartbreak and the this mm. stupid thing is really is that you know the, the the band had come to a natural end we had burnt ourselves out it was difficult it wasn't fun anymore um it what it was almost impossible to trying to create new music. We were we were all going through um, psychological things ourselves, each each of us respectively. Do you know what I mean? And it were it, it had Rob did what he needed to do, and sat here now. I think I'd thank him because mm-hmm. I would thank him for doing it because I think it enabled me to go away and. I don't know about rediscovering myself or or I I don't, you know, I don't like being too, I would have coined that. I don't like being too philosophical in terms of the terms that I use. And, but it allowed me to go away and, um, well, try and become something different or try and become something that existed separate from the music and it was a long time where new people i met i wouldn't even mention it to them do you know what i mean there were that was a ridiculous thing when the reunion show got announced there were a lot of people who i I were very good friends with who were like what what the fuck is all this like oh yeah, I've never told you about any of that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you can never really make people understand. You tell people you're in a band. They're like, oh yeah, you play at working men's clubs. You're like, no, um, fuck, I've played on fucking to ninety thousand people with you too i I've played yeah. the world on some of the biggest stages,
1: yeah.
3: and then they look at you like, well, why are you doing this now? Then if you've done all that. I mean, it's difficult for people to understand, but yeah, the the end of the band carried massive trauma for me, and then being able to reconnect with and re- and step back into those shoes for that reunion show and the warm up show, at Glasgow Barrowlands, it was just it was a uh, it, it rebuilt my it rebuilt me did those opportunities, even though I knew that it was going to be fleeting and in it in itself quite cruel due to the fact that. I was stepping back into these shoes, but I I wouldn't get to stay in them because Rob only really agreed to do that one show because you know Rob's very successful now and um mm. he, he's very very busy and it it is not in a position like me where I'd just be ready at the drop of a hat to do it all again, but you know rediscovering myself rediscovering everything it enabled me to do what i'm doing now which is releasing my own record and stuff and you know even even just from a, for me point of view and for my own sort of cathartic reasons um and just for my own joy really just something that brings me happiness to be able to to have written a record and and brought it out and you know especially produced and sort of with help from james chapman maps and working Uh, the the thing i found overwhelming there was was the respect that was still left for not only me but the band but again Mm -hmm. speaking from my own perspective people saying oh you're one of the best guitarists of a generation and stuff like that and at that time i didn't even play guitar in 10 years Mm -hmm. and it was all this love from people built my confidence back up to pick up a guitar and start writing again and that's what kind of has sent me on the trajectory that i've been on to get me to the fruition of this record i think was just the just the just sheer release and joy and you know i, I said it a lot but i never forget being in the music and waking up every morning and it literally being a bit of a pinch yourself moment i mean, grab- after a while the novelty wore, wore off and things became pressurized and difficult. But in the early days, man, like. They
0: were special. I remember. yeah,
3: them. <laughs> yeah Moments. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have moments where you're just like, Oh my God. And I had such a strong relationship with music back then, which is something else. I, When the band stopped, I stopped listening to music entirely, even though that had been my entire life. And mm-hmm. a lot of seminal moments in my life, um, and usually seminal in my own head, you know, in terms of coming to conclusions or feeling waves of joy and waves of happiness, always came hand in hand with um, a certain song. And mm-hmm. then it was like, brilliant, because I've got fast access to that feeling now, because all I have to do is put that fucking song on, and it'll take me straight back there. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's, it's the same with films. You know, there's certain films I could literally have on loop for months and never watch anything else and be happy as a pig in shit because mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm connected to something that I love here. You can't see it. You can't see it, but I'm connected to something here that is bringing me so much fucking joy. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of reconnecting with Rob and then discovering the possibility of doing this gig and then doing my own record again. It's like waking up again and being like, oh, shit. Fucking that feeling's back that I've been yeah. here for like 10, 12 years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: You, you said it was like, uh, you described it before as all of this kind of being part of a manic phase. Um, I'm thinking about when people talk about um, manic phases in bipolar, like that, that's their most productive time. Somehow they almost uh, feel as if. Um, that's when you get stuff done, as you say, you get shit done. Um, yeah. You almost crave it, but when you're talking, um, it's almost like you're talking about something else. On top of that, it's not just about be it being part of bipolar, but a part of your just what makes you, yeah, what makes you tick, what keeps you alive and, and gives yeah. you joy. Yeah,
3: absolutely. It's just it's just me in mm. a lot of ways, and that's what. I often have problems with being pigeonholed or categorized or yeah, that's bipolar and that's the manic side of it. And there's a bit of me that understands and accepts that, but at the same time really pushes back against that. And yeah. I, I that, that's another time of feeling misunderstood. You know what I mean? I can be yeah. really up and loud and like, and people are looking at me concerned and like, I don't want you fucking concerned. I'm fine, man. I'm better than you. Yeah. Yeah. you know I mean? I'm flying here. Stop trying to rain on my fucking parade and make me feel like there's a problem with myself. Do you know what I mean? Just because you can't fucking keep up with me and my, my energy levels and how intense I am, you don't like it, fuck off again, which has been my mantra. Yeah. But which is why I take myself off on my own. But yeah, you, you, you're you totally right that it's the most productive time. It's the most joyful time. It's the time where the parts of your brain connect and you, your brain almost becomes superhuman for a short amount of time um, in lots of different ways. And then in the back of the back of your mind, you've got that. Well, oh, well, the health skeleton is going to spit me back down eventually. So I best make the use of this while it's here. And, you know, it, it, it manifests itself in the way I write now. You know what I mean? I, there's, I don't sometimes I don't write for three, four weeks. And then suddenly just I get this wave of inspiration. And then I can ride that for, again, sometimes three or four weeks before it. Uh, ends or something shifts my focus or, um, yeah, I've never associated my manic episodes with negativity. Yeah. yeah, never. And you know, um, that's you know maybe other people who have got labels in their own brain and have had training. It says, oh, manic episode, that's bad. It's like mm-hmm. no, it's fucking in Stop reading your fucking books, man, and look mm-hmm. in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Your books can only tell you so much. Mm-hmm. You know what i mean like book book learning man it's it, it, like it, i'm not in that book there might be mm-hmm. elements of my behavior that could be comparable but i am not in that book mm-hmm. and just because i have a fucking a diagnosis on me doesn't give you the fucking right to treat me any differently mm-hmm. or suddenly think that you're better than me or suddenly think you've got more faculties or suddenly think you're more responsible i've got i've got more authority because you haven't got fucking you know what i mean some people are so fucking some people are so one-dimensional one dimension as soon as i got diagnosed some people who will remain unnamed started treating me like a fucking
1: idiot
3: Like just because i've got this label on me doesn't mean you can treat me any differently you motherfucker do you know what i mean and again that comes down to that makes me angry because it's the being misunderstood yeah, sat over there thinking, "Oh, you know, well, I've read a book about this, and I can see that now." He's doing that, and then this is going to come. So
1: fuck off! Yeah.
3: I know yeah. that there are elements of that that will be right and will apply, but you cannot judge someone on mm-hmm. that. No one, no one will fit the, the the mold and the rule. I mean, people can bend it so mm-hmm. that you do, or so that they can fit you in there. Some people just are so judgmental and it yeah. does make me really sick especially when it comes my way and yeah. that's one thing that makes me so fucking angry is when i i can sense that someone is judging me yeah. or acting high and mighty in some way and yeah. yeah there are moments where i'll forget what really is socially acceptable do you know what i mean yeah. and
2: that's the trigger you know yeah oh that's
3: mean. a massive trigger that's a yeah. massive.
0: Yeah, well, it's such an important point you're making, though, because I think so many, you know, when people are talking about, you know, mental health awareness, yeah, there are there are categories of things that we can identify, as you say, through books, but actually listening to someone's subjective experience of what they're experiencing is where the power lies. Because, you know, when you're talking to me about your experience of your highs and lows, I can already tell how different that is to someone I spoke to a few weeks ago about their experience of bipolar is very very different but equally as valid and, and actually the importance of hearing it and understanding that it's not like a cookie cutter thing and everyone's got um Everyone's got different experiences that are informing it as well, and yeah. yeah, the way you describe it it's very powerful and I think it's it's useful and helpful for people to realize that yeah, to take you as you are uh rather than ascribe a framework onto you um and to sort of yeah pigeonhole you or label you and because the second you do that, you stop listening
3: um, absolutely absolutely, yeah yeah. yeah. It's it's probably maybe not the most apt comparison, but during during the time after the band, when I were trying to find something to do, I actually started working as a support worker for a company, and I was assigned um, uh, a 10-year-old boy with a brain injury. And Mm. what I found fascinating was this company had no idea about this fucking kid. They had literally no idea. They just had the brain injury as a diagnosis, and then right. So you'll need nappies. You'll need and di- whoa, 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 nappies. Well, yeah, you need nappies, won't you? I'm like, have,
1: have,
3: have, 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 have you met this boy that you're working for? Well, uh, no, you clearly have. You is is more than capable of doing those sorts of things. And no, I don't need, I don't need that to to take into this scenario. Do you know? Are you just? Are you just? looking at some sort of grid with a a, a list of right well this is going to happen and that's going to happen then because he's got a brain injury is that you for fucking real you're one of the biggest companies in the fucking world that do this i've i've just stepped into this role and i can straight away see that you ain't got a fucking clue what you're doing
1: Mm.
3: i'm sure you might be i'm sure you might be able to manage the money side of it and all that sort of crap but the bottom line is you must have to know your client or is that my job is that my mm-hmm. job to relay this stuff to you even though the stuff i've relayed to you over like oh that's not your place to say that and say this it's honestly that was a terrible experience for me an awful mm. experience um and i got yeah. out of that in quite an explosive way um
0: wow. how long did you do that
3: for i think i did it for about was it about 6 months in total i oh, did it okay. and um I built a great rapport with the individual and he really liked me and we got on brilliantly. And I, without doubt, brought him on in terms mm. of what he was what he's because I think a lot of people have believed the shit that he wouldn't be able to do. Mm. Like, well, you will not be able to play basketball. I'm like, fuck off. Here you go, here's a ball, there's a hole. <laughs> you throw it in, off you go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, No, oh, it's gone in. I'm like, see. Now bounce it and fucking jog a bit, and do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. who's made you believe you can't do this shit? It really yeah. does hurt when people when that's an automatic response. I can't do that. It's yeah. like, well, you know, I'm gonna get quite annoyed unless you actually just try. Do you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. it just seems like a pre a predetermined response. Like, no, I can't do that, and I don't know. Yeah. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, and that's right. that's that's something that is, um that I find quite traumatic, all the stuff that happened surrounding that and the way I was treated by that company and ultimately the family as well. And the only person that I didn't hold anything against was the individual in him, himself who was in the scenario that I was appointed to help with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? But that was a, and that was another nail in my coffin. That was another nail in the coffin of, oh, I can't exist in a normal world. Um, yeah. I, because I see I see shit people don't, and I stick my head above the parapet and say it, and I won't let people talk bullshit to me. Yeah. Someone tries to discipline me for something I've done wrong that makes sense, fair enough. You come and discipline me with something that's full of fucking holes, get ready to, to know about it, because yeah. I will fill every single fucking hole you show me. As quick yeah. as you show it, I'll jump in it and be like, well, square that circle then. How do you explain that?
1: Yeah.
3: And then I'll watch you squirm as you're like, oh I can't because I'm reading the script. Like Get the fuck out of here. Do you know what I mean?
0: I guess you've become a, a good advocate for, for the underdog in a way. Because you see it, you see the injustice when it's happening to other people, like that that boy.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
3: Absolutely. I think that's a very good way of putting it.
1: Mm.
3: A very good way of putting it. Advocate for the underdog and Yeah. Um, very much so very much i don't like people being in situations that they can't get out of Mm -hmm. and that they can't see all the walls of do you know what i mean and especially if i can look over and go oh hang on i can tell what's going on here i'd take it upon myself to go over and sort it out yeah you know what i mean like um yeah i find injustice in any sense like kryptonite basically and it it triggers me ridiculously so and you know I've met I've met plenty of people who think they're big and clever or authoritative or you know what I mean better than everyone else until they meet me in a certain mood and then I enjoy watching them fucking fold like a piece of paper mm-hmm. I, and I love the thought in my head it's like you've never met anything like me have you you've never met someone who's willing to do this and to put their head above the parapet like this and speak to you in the way that I am will fucking live with it do you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: Probably in in some way, like if there was someone like that available to you at the time when it was all happening, I imagine there's a part of you that wishes you had someone like you to kind of jump in and step up for you, stand up for you when you were being subjected to injustice.
3: Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that yeah, like you say, that's something that makes me hyper aware of it when I see it elsewhere. I guess, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I realise I've I've raised my voice quite a few times, what? but I'm just so used to that being unacceptable. Do you know what I mean? And I I like alarm bells go off in, go off in my head when I'm doing it. Um, yeah. So I, I I sometimes feel a little bit awkward about showing that side of me. And like with my mm. own podcast, I often get well. Pete Pete Pete's learned now what. I don't want in there like I don't like I don't Or uh, I don't I'm so used to people being upset by when I get mm-hmm. passionate or irate that I, I try and curb it as much as I can even mm-hmm. though it, it's kind of part of how I process things really but I know some people do find it unpalatable so I'd like to apologize <laughs> like, well anyone who might be listening that that, that that finds that sort of thing difficult to mm-hmm. listen to I'd hate to think that I'm alienating people by by raising my voice or by swearing or or by being me <laughs>
0: uh, you're certainly not alienating me i don't find it unpalatable um i've spoken to to people that are a lot more i don't know what the word would be I know uh, what you mean. yeah so yeah um you, you're absolutely fine and I, i'm i'm glad that you are able to be how you want to be because that's what i want for my podcast it's really important to me that people are themselves completely because if it's a mental health podcast then we're dealing with the reality aren't we so so yeah fire away and please don't worry about that with me but put it it this way I had um I had bears on who was just calling all doctors cunts at one point on my podcast so that's out Uh, there so (laughs) that's the level we're talking about and um Alan McGee as well, swearing away. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> so I I obviously because you you know, we're really close to the launch date of your new album, isn't it? It's on the 21st of April, you've got your launch party badlands on fire that's what it's called isn't it Uh, yeah yeah and uh i was i was looking it up and um i'm really intrigued because first of all i love that it's all instrumental and that's another thing that um comes across because in a recent i think it was your last podcast you did you were talking about your attraction to sound Mm -hmm. and um So it's intrigued me thinking about the soundscape that this album will have. And I listened to Dream Twister um, on YouTube, isn't it? It's on YouTube as well. And I absolutely love it. And I wanted to say that to you. Um, Thank you. And I I can't wait to hear the whole album. And it's amazing that it's got um, a book of artwork alongside it, it seems like, that's going to accompany the album.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. You know what intrigued me about that with the artwork. Um, I was thinking about like how you described the the eight tracks sort of taking the taking the listener through sort of storytelling, and it will take you places. I think you said it's going to take you places. Um, mm. and I was thinking about the texturing and you know knowing your guitar playing as I like, you know from the from the days of the music one thing I remember because I used to go to a lot of your gigs was this feeling of being enraptured in a sound like it it was so different to anything out at the time I I think the only other band I remember feeling that way with at that time was the Cooper Temple Claws um I know obviously you both have very different sounds as well but What I mean by that is that it was in those gigs where I would let out all my emotions. So if I wanted to cry, I'd cry. If I wanted to scream, I'd scream. I'd have no inhibitions. And that's what I love about your music. And I have a sense about this album that it might do something similar in a different way, but similar in terms of the emotional impact.
3: Um, yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. Really, I mean, it's uh, the whole album's an emotional journey. I mean, you know, the title itself, "Badlands on Fire," that's that's very deliberate and refers specifically to the badlands. Is the 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 you know the the places where I've been after losing my identity, losing my connection with Rob, and all the other things, um, <clears throat> and then the joy of rediscovering everything that I had and it was like kind of being able to climb out of a valley and then <clears throat> fucking set it on fire and stand around and stand on the edge of a cliff and watch it all burning mm-hmm. and have, you know and have that satisfaction of I'm going to stand and watch you die Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean for all that you've put me through and mm-hmm. that's what the that's what the record is it's 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 like nurse it's like nursery rhymes for adults or like i don't that's probably not the right term but it's it's self-soothing that that's what the record is and it's it's like a sunbed for the soul do you know what i mean that's what
1: (laughs) that's
3: what it's meant to be do you know what i mean and that's where it's meant to take people and you know, um, I am quite shy about my voice even though some people have got to say I've got a decent voice and I do do, a, a, you know, a lot of demos I'm doing now are uh, vocal as well but I deliberately wanted to make a, a, an atmospheric, cinematic, instrumental record I've always found a connection with music from film in the same way that I would, uh, you know a pop song or a classic rock song, it, I, I see no difference do You know what I mean? It, it's a piece of music that makes you feel something and I came to the conclusion it didn't matter because, you know, like something with Dream Twister, I'd like to think that everyone can listen to that and not need any words and know exactly what it's saying or what it's doing, what it's trying to do. The, the whole record is an exploration of um my own need to hear music like that i guess really and it's it was an incredibly cathartic process that brought me immeasurable immeasurable joy i mean it still does albeit tinged with the uh, stress of bringing it all to market which has been um a journey in itself shall we say that's not always been easy um but that i just i want everything to be right and i want everything to be perfect and i'll sacrifice my sanity to be able to to stand back afterwards and go yes i did it do you know mm-hmm. what i am mean like it's done it's out i can relax now and but you know the 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 process of making it was just an an absolute joy really and um I love how cohesive the whole record is and how it it's all related and like the songs are like brothers and sisters and uh some of them share similarities and it really is like walking through different landscapes and that's why I had the the idea of having a fine artist involved to do uh you know a a, a canvas for for each track which and I deliberately picked someone who was doing um very striking icelandic landscapes uh you know tinged with his own style but just painting things that you could hear like yeah. i looked at his paintings and i'd be like i could feel it i can hear it i can smell it and yeah. i just i thought about my own music i was creating with james chapman maps the things we were doing and i i just thought these these tracks are our landscapes, they are places, and I want someone to show me that place. I want someone to paint it and let me see it as well as hear it. Because I can mm-hmm. see it in my mind, but I I I fell mad, madly in love with the idea of um having a canvas for each track. And yeah, that's um <clears throat> so that's what Ross did. There's eight tracks on the albums, there's eight canvases um and they all depict a different place they depict a different track they depict a slightly different emotion the overriding overwhelming emotion is obviously joy and celebration but um there are there are darker elements in there and that was the idea of the book as well mm. because it's full of notes from from not only from me but also from Ross and also from Jairus Chapman maps um uh, you know sort of explaining the 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 meaning of the songs really i suppose and the, and the emotions and the 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 fact that the songs um all the pieces of music i know that some people don't like a piece of music being called a song if there's no words but you know how they are like different chapters of um a story or a book um and yeah i i'm really proud and thrilled that it's come to fruition in such a powerful way I mean, a lot of that is down to Ross, um, the artist, and his wife, um, Nicola, who is equally as skilled and creative um, artistically and creatively. And uh, they they are the two people I was speaking about, actually, when it was like, fucking hell, it's like I've met these people and it's like meeting what humans should be in lots of ways. Do you know what I mean? Just... um, and yeah, they they've done an immeasurable amount to 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 help bring my ideas to life. It, as I say, it's it's a celebration. It's joy. It's it's shaking off that s- sort of cold, dead um, version of me, and <clears throat> allowing the original version of me to breathe again—the one mm. that sort of died when when the band ended and other, other, a few other things. It's almost like I don't want anyone else to ever go there. So we'll all watch it burn together. That sort of vibe really, you know, I, I, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just release an album or songs and there you go. I, I, I always envisaged it being something more than that, something much more full artistically fulfilling and, um, you know, I just became addicted to the process. I became addicted to writing the tunes with James and then giving the tunes to Ross and then waiting the two or three weeks and like being on tenter hooks, waiting for a ping on my phone that I knew would be the image, the next image for the next song. But every single time it was just like bang, perfect. And that just made me realise how strong the identity of each track was and that Ross just understood it implicitly. I don't think I realised how strong the identity and the vibe and the feeling and the emotion of each track was and how apparent it was until I saw Ross coming back with these images and just be like, fucking, my God, Like, are you inside my brain or something? You know, um, it was just a, a revelationary experience and it enriched my life and soul like immeasurably it, it again just brought me back to um what I was born to do in my sort of humble opinion or whatever um it's the only thing that I've ever done where I felt like that's what I should be doing do you mm-hmm. know what I mean everything else has always just felt like trying to find a way to exist whereas Making music and making a record like that is, um, you know, kind of what I naturally want to do. It and it's where my instincts lie, and I feel I've got a a unique style. And um, yeah, I, I I'm really I'm really proud and really thrilled that how well it's it's worked out. And um, yeah, yeah, and, and even even down to like the video for Dream Twister i mean that's ridiculous like the the you know like the emotions in that song and then the way that ross used his son theo as almost like a younger version of me because Mm -hmm. like like, that's what dream twister is it's about the 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 feelings you have as a kid and the endless possibilities and how amazing life looks in terms of the future Then you get older and you deal with the reality of life and then yeah, you're still so connected to that inner child that had all those expectations and those um you know feelings about what life could be. And like Dream Twister just the video is just perfect because it just encapsulates it encapsulates the, the the innocent joy of yeah. of of being a child. And do you know what I mean and reconnecting with that innocent joy much later in life
0: I was looking at the um, titles of the songs and they, I don't know if it's if they kind of match is it like chronological because I'm looking at like you've got Dream Hustle Time Fall Balance on Fire Endless Summer Sky Fires last, Last Dance of the Light Into the Dust and Salvation they're all very like image-based words like they're they're very evocative um Mm. i don't know if like that was intentional as well to kind of capture the imagination in the titles um well
3: yeah i mean um no firstly yes the um the tracks on the record are in the order that i wrote them mm. and secondly yeah in terms of titles uh, I, the titles are something that I find incredibly easy because they whisper themselves to me, and I know some people are going to be like bullshit. No, they fucking do. As I'm writing the track, and as I'm sat there, the title whispers itself to me and slaps me around the face and just goes, "This is the title, mate." Off you, off you pop. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's based on the the exactly like you say the the imagery, um, the evocative nature of the music and all those sorts of things. It's just what my mind. And like every one of them from the second of because it, it like three seconds to think of the title. You know, there'd, there'd be something in the back of my mind that'd be like, hey, oh, there's a title coming, and then it'd get whispered to me, and the process would be like three seconds. I didn't spend longer than three seconds thinking about the title for any of them. Literally any of them. You know, I didn't um and an ah, hour um an hour ah about it, and maybe that, maybe that. No, every single one of them was. It's almost like it already existed. Yeah, I mean, it was like it almost. It, it was like it was. I can't think about how to describe it really, but it was like something that would uh, had already existed that. Um that was you know there was there was no effort in coming up with those names i i love i love that it's one of my favorite parts is like creating something musically and then having the title slap me in the face mm. and, you know and the title track badlons on fire that fucking came to me in a heartbeat as well mm. all of it did. every every single title yeah and um yeah i i uh, they they do have like a an intrigue and mystery to him but it's all just pure instinct coming mm-hmm. up with those things there's no sort of thought process involved other than hang on hang on there's a title coming to me here there's a title it's almost like when you're trying to remember something that's on tip of your
1: tongue mm-hmm.
3: like you're trying to remember a name or a memory or something like that and then it, it like comes to you that's exactly like the title it's like they, they have to work their way very quickly through like a, a fog or something and then it just appears in front of you and you're like right nice one thank you that will do (laughs) like
0: it bubbles up through the water
3: (laughs) yeah absolutely
0: yeah it's is it out on the 21st of april that's just the launch night
3: yeah it is out it's out on the 21st yeah The, the physical the physical formats are out on the 21st and then it will be going on streaming platforms and all that jazz um at a later date not much later but it might be something like four yeah. weeks there's all sorts of elements still to bring together and the nature of it being fully diy and self-funded and driven by me and i'm the one making the phone calls and linking everything mm-hmm. up and uh, i've made mistakes and not quite got some things right but um I, you know, I think that majority of my fan base know what I'm about, and they know how hard I've been working to try and make this happen. And yeah, but the the physical formats are out on the 21st of April. Yeah, mm,
0: perfect. Yeah. Okay. Great. And also, like, I mean, it really comes across because I know you've mentioned before, like how much work has gone into it, and and that it's been DIY. And I've always got the sense of you, you know. The way you talk, like you've been through a lot, and there's something about like it's almost like I can hear you sort of say, "Oh, give me a break," <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I don't know if that matches your experience, but
3: yeah, it, I think it does in some senses. Yeah, yeah. I, like I say I don't like um I don't like letting people down. Mm. I, I don't like letting anyone down. It's something that um I can't live with. So, um, and that was one of the Trepidations about entering a project like this and talking about it and unveiling it to people is like you've then got to do it. Do you know what I mean? You've then, mm. And 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 try and get everything right. And yeah, um, I, yeah. I mean, I have been through a lot emotionally, I suppose, and in my it's certainly in my own head. Look, you know, I don't. I, I wouldn't want to sit here and and try and compare myself against people who who genuinely struggle through life and have all kinds of horrible things happen to them. I'm, I'm, do you know what I mean? What's the mm. word? I don't want to sound at any point like a martyr. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like the, everyone's experiences are their own, and they are proportional within their own realms of experience. And uh, I'm just another one of those people, really. Um, I, I I love the fact that I've got an audience that, Understands me, you know. No matter how big or how small, doesn't matter to me. It's like I feel part of something yeah. through my podcast, through my connection with Ross, Nicola, Theo, and Pete, and all the creative things that I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it. They're the sorts of things that have um rebuilt me and made me feel part of something again. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm really moved to hear that, actually. Adam yeah that you've built yourself back up and feel like you belong you've made such um, a powerful point in a way when you were talking about you know the connections but both of the, the connections you've made here with Ross and Theo and Nicola but also like the way you described the relationship with you and your bandmates because you made the point I mean I guess you you know, you met at school, and it's more—it's more than just that you were in a band together. Like, I guess you all loved each other in a way. You're talking about like attachment, and that being in a band is a, is at once quite a traumatic experience, but it also bonds you in a very unique way that no one ever could really ever understand, apart from the people who were in it together, and you're bonded through that forever. Um, and so i can I can really appreciate how it just makes separation so much more painful and and difficult and nuanced than maybe a lot of people might consider when you're in a band that it is I think you mentioned I think you said heartbreak um mm. before that it that I imagine it really does feel like a well like, even like death like grief or something
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah
3: um yeah and I think we've we've all matured as people and um yeah going through that shared experience the the good and the bad um it it's been it it's been life affirming to to reconnect with the other three mm-hmm. in the way in the way that in the way that we have and that we've got a much more healthy <clears throat> Uh, a much more healthy relationship as a whole, and um, and and I suppose the irony is the conversations that I do have with the lads now are the polar opposite to what they used to be, which were completely piss-taking banter and just having a laugh and creating this fun bubble. To now, you know, whenever I do talk to them, we do discuss feelings and stuff and and the things we went through and we, we reflect fondly on the good times and reflect on the bad and um yeah the you know like and i think that's why i find it so difficult to talk about the rob stuff really is because i think that you know rob what was and is part of part of me in a lot lot of ways you know i'm not you know what i mean like there's part of him that is a that is a part of me and i i love them all but yeah i, I uh, rob was my best friend and like my um i don't know how to describe it really but it was it was a it was a terrible loss um but it was probably partly and mainly and almost entirely my own fault really <laughs> on reflection through having the uh, the inability to deal with the decisions that he had to make and the things that I was going through at, at that time. And I always remember thinking, you know what, I wish I'd have been diagnosed while uh, the band were active or earlier, like, mm-hmm. so that I could have shown these people the real me free of... Because that was a ridiculous thing. As soon as I got diagnosed and started taking the medication... You know the psychiatrist, like, look, there's quite a few things we can try. Let's start with this. Yeah. Not not everyone gets on with it. See how we get on with it. You know, like twenty minutes after taking the first one, I was like, oh my god! So this is is what's been missing, is it?
1: Yeah.
3: This is what's. But this is why life's been so hard because I haven't had this. That's now surging around my body, um, and my brain. You know, doing its thing, working its magic, and yeah. um, I I have to laugh when. Well, I mean, Bez has got it right, really. A lot of doctors like cunts because I still have uh, I still have phone calls from the doctors that you can tell their agenda is purely to take the drug off me. And, mm. um, you, you know, first of all, I tell them they have no fucking authority, which is true. They've got absolutely no authority to take the medication away from me just because it suits their fucking budgets. And unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with this in this world. It's a business. It's no longer about care. It's a business and everyone who runs a business watches the bottom line. And if you're on a medication that costs them God knows how much to buy, but I just pay a nine pound prescription for it. You know, there's some twat in the background sat there going, huh, well, I don't want this on my patient budget. They don't give a fuck. And I treat them with the contempt they deserve, I will say as well. When I go into a scenario where I have to deal with a doctor, and it's usually full of, I'm afraid you don't have any authority here, so just sign that fucking thing that gives me this prescription <laughs> further on, please, and let me leave.
0: Mm. <laughs> did, did, you, did you have... Um, did you just go with the drug route? Did you ever have therapy yourself?
3: Um, I just went the drug route. I did yeah. have... Um, I had continuing sessions with the, a psychiatrist, but... I could sense that once he'd realized the medication was working, he didn't really think there was much. Lots of people were mentioning CBT to me and stuff. And I said to him, what about CBT? And no word of a lie laughed and said that. (laughs) He said said, that will be absolutely useless on your Mm. brain. Trust me. From my experience of you, you would see straight through all that stuff. And I'm not suggesting that CBT is in any way a bad thing. He just decided from what he'd learned of me that it wouldn't have any impact on me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, but you're you're um I can say because Phil trained as a therapist, didn't he? He became a counsellor. So I don't know if if discussions about that came up between you two. No,
3: I mean, yeah, the thing with Phil was uh, it was actually me that suggested he should become a counsellor. And uh, mm-hmm. because it was um it was through having to deal with my um, because me and Ro, me and Phil kind of became a bit pally and I'd go around and speak to him a bit and he helped me a lot because he'd sit there and listen to me while I ranted on about all the things that were going on in my head <clears throat> and it was midway through one of those rants I stopped very coldly and just looked at him and just went, you're not really good at this you should be a counsellor and then, I, and then I went back into my tirade and then it was months and months and months later he sent me a message, might have even been a year later, sent me a message saying I just wanted to say thanks for mm. suggesting I should become a counsellor because that's exactly what I've done and I'm <laughs> loving it and that. And I, at the time I was like, I don't even remember saying that. And then it suddenly came back to me. I was like, oh no, I do remember saying that now. Um. But yeah, no, me and Phil never really discussed anything like that. Phil just listened to me a lot of the time and maybe tried to um suggest that i think about certain things but never you know never forcefully, forcefully or anything like that and um i think phil also has a bit of a thing where he wouldn't get too in depth with someone he knew that closely if you know if you know what yeah. i mean
1: yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah yeah he would it would be too the, it, the boundary would be too blurred there probably yeah yeah, yeah. I don't have any more questions. I that unless you wanted to say any more. No,
3: I think I think um, I think uh, I, it's been brilliant. I've I've it it's been really um, I'm going to say I've enjoyed it. Uh, I have enjoyed it, even though it's been difficult at times. But no, I I think that we've we've covered all sorts of stuff. That, uh, trust me. I mean, from my podcast, you probably know. If there was something I really wanted to say, I'd be pushing. Through, I'd be. Yeah. banging the microphone down to say it if uh, I didn't think there was much opportunity left to say something no I I think we've covered everything really well um I found it really really interesting really really fascinating and um it's been it's been great to talk to you about this stuff
0: yeah you too I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it and, and I enjoyed it massively too I, I always enjoy these interviews but it's been you know I, I want to say again like I really do appreciate it because I know You know, you've been really open and I know you are open anyway, but it's always, you know, it's humbling and um, I I really value it. So thank you. And um, how do people get hold of you? I should have mentioned that. Yeah. If people want to follow you on Twitter and find you, how do they do
3: that? That's a very good question, actually. I mean, I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There are not many Adam Nutters in this world. There is one other, an American comedian. So whatever platform you're on, if you put Adam Nutter, Nutter Adam, at Nutter Adam, I can't remember exactly all my handles. There's quite a few of them. But yeah, I'm on um I'm on all social media and I've also got obviously my Podbean uh, platform where my podcast is broadcast from, but you can find the podcast on all your usual podcast places and that's music and more with Adam Nutter if you wanted to search and listen to that. Um, But yeah, I'm on on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Um, So yeah, if you did want to follow me or drop me a message the the easiest way the easiest and fastest way to get in touch with me is via twitter um and like uh me on twitter or private messaging me on twitter i'm much more active with that than i am even with my own emails and stuff like that That's always the fastest way to get to me
0: perfect all right brilliant so thank you so
3: much Lovely. No problem. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's been really enlightening and um, yeah, it's been great. I've loved it.